Hey everyone, Dawn Sarah here with Sex Gets Real, and this week we're going to be talking all about dominance and submission and all that kinky goodness, because with me is Sinclair Sexsmith. Hi, Sinclair. Hi, Dawn. How are you? I'm doing so well. I'm really excited to talk to you. Oh my gosh, me too. So glad you wrote to me and you were like, I have this cool thing. I want to come on the show because it was awesome and perfect timing. Excellent. So for those of you that don't know Sinclair, let me tell you just a little bit about them. And then we're going to just roll around in (laughs) all these awesome discussions about submissiveness and DS and all of the things that people always have so many questions about. So Sinclair Sexsmith is the best known butch erotica writer whose kinky groundbreaking stories have turned on countless queer women, which I adore, who is in all the books, wins all the awards, speaks at all the panels and readings, knows all the stuff and writes for all the places, which is a quote from Otto Straddle. Uh, You lead an eight week online e-course that's called Submissive Playground, which is one of the things we're going to be talking about today, uh, which happens annually. And one of the things about Submissive Playground is there's no wrong way to be submissive, which I'm so excited to talk about. Uh, And I love that your bio ends with, they identify as a white, genderqueer, butch, dominant, a survivor, and an introvert, and use the pronouns they, them, theirs, themselves. I think it's so important to include that in our bios. Yeah, definitely. I, I also am totally an identity nerd and, and get really into identity theory. So I tend to include strings of words that I use to describe myself. And, you know, some of those, uh, they they fluctuate, right? Like I've been using um, kinky queer butch top for a lot of years. But as I'm more and more involved in uh, anti-racist politics, I use white everything that I can. And as I'm more involved in um, kind of... Uh, the effects of more other marginalized identities in the sexuality worlds, like being a survivor or being an introvert, those feel really important to me to include as well. I totally agree. And I love that you mentioned those things because as I read them and hear them, it tells me so much about like the things that I can ask you about. And that, you know, if I were to have questions about being a survivor and doing DS, that you're potentially a safe mm. resource for that. And so I think that it's very inviting to be able to share those things with people. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Okay. So you created Submissive Playground, which is this online course all about there's no wrong way to be a submissive. And you have so many like knockout superstars of kink involved in this online program that I can't wait for people to go check out the info page about this course. Cause it's, it's just phenomenal. So I'll have a link on sex gets real. But, um, before we talk about that, I would love to hear just a little about your story of how you got into DS and kind of the role that it's played in your life. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. The I think I personally have been dominant and, you know, probably <laughs> what they would say would more be like bossy and domineering since I was a little kid. And I'm the oldest of three and was always kind of the leader of my little friend group. And, and I ran, that ran into a lot of social friction for me as I was you know, socialized going like f- further and further into elementary school and then middle school and became it became a lot harder for me to keep and, and have 
friends and relationships. And so I think for a long time, I really tapped it down and just went like, you have to be a lot more submissive. You have to be a lot more like, you know, I, I had to learn. I had to tell myself, you have to let other people lead. You have to let, do what other people want to do sometimes. And, um, and ended up when I started, uh, being sexual, I ended up as a bottom for a lot of years, um, mostly in my teenage years. I mean, maybe not a lot of years, but when I started out, because really for as long as I've been sexual, I've been kinky. That was never a question for me. It came out just as soon as I was like interested <laughs> in sex, I was interested in the dirty stuff. So, uh, and, and it took a little longer for me to get to really come out as queer and, um, and, uh, but the kinky definitely came first. And as it kind of went on and on, I, um, I came more and more into my own power orientation of being a top. And then that has kind of evolved to being a daddy and being a dominant. And now I'm a master in a 24 seven master slave relationship. And, and I say the words master slave with where I want to add like immediate caveats to all of that, because it's a really complex phrase to use, especially, um, for folks in the U.S. With, that have this long history of slavery in this culture. Mm -hmm. um, and so I say it with the knowledge that it's a loaded term. Uh, we don't have to go into all the loadedness, but I just want to say that we can have that conversation later, or any of y'all who are listening, we can have that conversation <laughs> if you want to. Uh, the last six months or so, I've been writing a column on Autostraddle called View from the Top, which is really details the transition that I've done from bottom to top to daddy to dominant to, you know, sadist and, <laughs> and um, master. So uh, there's a lot of details in that column about the story, but that's kind of the broad strokes of it. It's so interesting hearing all of the different ways that people kind of discover kink either mm. very late in life because they didn't even know that it was an option and they start like hearing whispers or reading books like 50 shades of gray and it kind of tickles something in them. And then people who pretty much from like adolescence are like, Oh no, I'm into the weird stuff. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I love hearing just the variety of stories. And I love that for you. It was just like, as soon as I was sexual, I was kinky. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> How did that show up for you? Uh, I mean, well, I was a, I did a lot of babysitting as in like middle school and high schooler. And so of course I would just go search the people's bedrooms for dirty things. Mm -hmm. And early on, I, uh, acquired <laughs> a copy of the book, my secret garden by Nancy Friday, which is like a seventies feminist publication about how women have sexual fantasies too. And it was a revelation in, you know, in 19 might've been the eighties, I guess it was like eighty two or something like that. I'm not quite mm -hmm. sure the publication and, um, and people, you know, the, it's really a stunning read and actually I would recommend it even still because it's still relevant, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> yeah. but it had a ton of stuff in there about what women sexual fantasize about. And that more than anything else was a route for me around like all these things are possible. And so many of the pieces in there, so many of the things that people share and talk about is like, wow, I had no idea that other women fantasize and how normal this is. And so really just from the very beginning, I was like, oh, women fantasize and it's normal. And 
And so, and so it was a good, it was a good place to start for my sexuality. <laughs> and then the the guy that I got together with, I was with the guy for about six years, my high school boyfriend. He was just game. He was just like, what do you want to do? I'll do whatever, anything. What are you into? I don't know. What are you into? So we end up with like silk ties to the bedspread and like light spanking and, you know, not nothing too extreme especially by current my my current standards but um (laughs) but lots of exploration lots of bondage lots of impact lots of rough sex um just like pretty much whatever we wanted he was the one who bought me my first strap on oh awesome it was it was we were open we were very open and that part of our relationship always worked really well the like um semi you know controlling abusive part was less good and the like i think i'm gay part was definitely more of a challenge but <laughs> but you know the sex right. part in the kink was great <laughs> that's wonderful to to be young and to both of you be open enough to say like I don't know. Let's try whatever you're into. I don't know. I guess we'll just try the things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's fantastic. And we met online in 1994. So um, the the communities that we were involved with online were just, I mean, that was just explicitly sexual. There was just so much going on uh, that was around conversations around sexuality. And, and I am a writer really before any of those other identity words. And so writing about sex and reading about sex has been a huge place of liberation for me and a huge place of, of knowledge and availability. Cause you know, you know, cause people don't talk about it even still podcasts aside, <laughs> people don't talk about sex enough and don't talk about it with their partners enough and don't like, there's not healthy conversations about it in culture enough. So, um, learning about it that way and reading it online just felt like a really safe way to explore. Um, plus that we could just like type to each other, whatever we wanted. Okay. Now I'm kissing down your leg and now I'm, you know, coming all over your face or I, I don't know, whatever. And, and if I was like, Oh, this is kind of uncomfortable. I would just be like, okay, closing my computer now. You know, it was not <laughs> dangerous at all uh, because we were typing to each other. So it was really, it was really easy to, to pause or redirect or change or, you know, alter what was going on. Um, which was a great early way for me to explore. And and it became a place, like a really early erotica route too. So Mm -hmm. I went on to write a lot of erotica. um, And that's kind of where Sinclair, my persona came from and where the, my uh, website Sugar Butch came from. It got a lot of traction because of all the erotica that I write. I love how you had that kind of the safety of being online to have some of those sexual, sexual explorations. Totally. Um, I remember in my sophomore year of high school, this was way back when like <laughs> the only way to really get on the internet was dial up AOL or Netscape. Yep. And... No, that was probably, was probably about the same <laughs> years that I was in high school. Yep. And, uh, yeah, actually I think it was 1994, or 95 that we were doing this. And, um, I remember we had made, uh, a woman up, who was like in her thirties mm-hmm. and we would go into all the AOL chat rooms and like pick mm-hmm. up dudes who were trolling for sex. Mm-hmm. And we, the two of us would just sit there until like three in the morning after her parents were in bed, just like, okay, now say this, now say this, let's see if we can get him to say this. And it was this like sad for the people who were actually trying to have this in, engaging sexual expression with, with this fake person we had made up. But it was the first time that we actually started 
really engaging with people and hearing what people wanted sexually and being able to like, oh, let's see what happens if we say this. And there was kind of this fun, curious element that in no way was threatening to like our value as people because there was Mm -hmm. no like really chance of physical harm or rejection Mm -hmm. happening. Right. Right. Totally. And in a lot of ways you had all the power there. It's really easy to just go, just stop, just go somewhere else. Right. Oh, I mean, yeah. All the power. I mean, they have power too, and that they can do the same thing. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's uh, it can be a really empowering place. And I know terrible, you know, bad stories about that stuff too, with people yeah. being harmed or people really starting to trust someone else who ends up being lying about what they're doing. So it's not like mm-hmm. it's not like it's all all good and easy. It's just um, uh, had, it certainly was a valuable place for me to explore. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think that the internet of the early '90s oh my God, so um, was right? a very different place than even like ten years later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's just a, a really, I mean, I don't even know what the percentage was, but there were so few people on mm-hmm. the internet at that point. Yeah. I, I was running a little bit of a web design business in 1998, and. I remember trying to convince a couple different businesses that they needed a website and they were just like, why do I need a website? Like, I don't need a website. What even is the website? Like, that's not going to last, you know? And I was, I decided I didn't really want to do that because I didn't want to do the work of convincing people that it was important. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even just four years later, <laughs> two years later, I'm, everyone had a website or, or was starting to, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's phenomenal the like internet revolution but and we could talk about that all day yeah, but let's, let's go back to sex <laughs> okay yeah yeah so um so you had mentioned that you have experiences as a daddy now you're in this um 24 7 master slave situation dominant atop sadist so you've you've tried all of these things and some of them are now a big part of your identity and how you are expressing your relationships and your sexual identity. And I've had a couple of people on the show talk a little bit about daddy dynamics um, and daddy doms, but I would really love for you to just kind of share your definition for a daddy dynamic and kind of how you express that. Cause I think that's a space that still has a lot of misconceptions. Sure. Totally. Um, and I, I was a really reluctant daddy in a lot of ways and <laughs> I didn't come to it eagerly, um, I don't know, desirous or, or, or just ease, easefully even. Mm-hmm. I, I came to it conflicted and curious and, uh, and not certain that it was going to work for me. And, and at the same time, it was something that um, I was really kind of obsessive about in erotica and reading things and in fantasies for quite a long time. Um, because I was, sa- I would say to myself, well, I have to understand how this works. I just don't get it. I don't know. I don't get it. So I have to, I really should read it. So I would get it a little better. And I think, you know, that kind of repulsion and, um, and lust can sometimes be this opposite sides of the same coin. Yes. Um, and so, so, and I didn't, I didn't recognize it at the time, but I was very much like, I don't know why people would do this and how is it different than incest or how is it different than incest play? Um, and, and I queried a lot of my friends who I knew were into it or kinksters that I knew were into it. And, um, so I I think that 
for me, ultimately, it became a role of a kind of paternalistic role of like, um, nurturance and, uh, control and, and domineering dominance at the same time. And I, and with a lot of masculinity in it. So that combination is potent to me as in my identities. And it's also potent. It has been potent from the people that I've dated who, um, who like see that combination of things is in your experience, when you're doing some type of daddy dynamic um, or play, is it naturally an age play thing in your experience, or is it more about a certain type of submission that's a little bit unique? Hmm. Um, I think it's I think it's both. It started. It definitely started out for me as a certain type of submission and a certain way to relate to a power dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it went on for me and as I got comfortable, more comfortable in the role, it, uh, it just, it, it became, um, the, the role play of it mm-hmm. became a be- another way and another dimension to play with for sure. Oh. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately for me, it's about nurturance and it's kind of about the, the dominance that isn't this like cruel, Mm -hmm. um, forced dominance, but it's about this, like, this is for your own good and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to control you, but it's because I love you and Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, spank you, but it's because you deserve it and things like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you definitely earned this one. (laughs) (laughs) And... I know I've gotten a couple of questions on the show about 24 seven dynamics. And, um, I know several people who are, have been in them for a long time and have explored them. And like, to be honest, the first thing that comes up for me is just like exhaustion when I think about it. Mm. But, uh, I would love to hear more about 24 seven master slave. Like, what does that look like? And how, how natural is that for you? Or do you feel like there's time when you're like, Whoa, I got to really like figure this out. Yeah. It's interesting. 24 seven. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what it is. Mm-hmm. And when people are in a scene or even in a weekend long thing where, you know, you're at a conference and you're there with somebody and all you're doing is kind of being in a role. Um, there's this understanding that you go back to your back to your real life uh, see my, my air quotes happening right <laughs> yeah. back to real life. And, and the, the only way to sustain 24 seven is the, if 24 seven is your real life, there isn't a going back to something else, you know, or, a, or, a and we don't really even have times when we're not in the dynamic. We don't say, okay, we need to have a real conversation. So we have to get out of the dynamic now. Like we can do it. We can, we do real conversations in the dynamic all the time. Um, and, and that also has to do with, of course, our particular rules for our dynamic, right? If somebody had the rules of, like, you never speak to me with a, a question, you know, you never question me or you never talk to me um, when you're upset or you never, I don't know. There's mm-hmm. If there were rules about restricting what my sub could say to me, then I imagine we would have to step out of the dynamic, but mm-hmm. we don't have that. There aren't rules on what he can or can't say aside. I mean, I guess there's a rule of like, be respectful, but that's mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, more of a relationship aspiration <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> than anything you'd get in trouble for if not, you know, but, um, 
Uh, and I think that, so it's, it's not, okay, so there's two sides of it. On the one side, it is something that I have to work to maintain and mm-hmm. it is something that I have to strive for. Um, but on the other sa- side, it's not something that, um, that I'm exhausted by at all. It's something that feeds me and that lights me up. And it's something that, um, if, if I have to work too hard, then I start asking myself, like, how can I use my slave to make this easier? And what do I need right now? And how can we come to this together in an, in a more easeful way? Mm-hmm. Um, and because he's my slave and we, you know, have that dynamic going on, I, I get to ask of him whatever I want and whatever I need. So if what I need from his service is for him to go make me my favorite meal, bring me a bourbon, bring me some ice cream and watch a Buffy marathon, then that's what we're going to do, you know? <laughs> so like, that's really easeful for me and makes me feel pampered and special. And it is sometimes service for him to watch my stupid TV shows with him. With him <laughs> um, Buffy is not stupid. No, no, not at all. But sometimes <laughs> they are stupider than that. But yeah. no, Buffy is not stupid. Right. And he did actually quite enjoy Buffy, but there are other ones that he has enjoyed less. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that he's still very good about, you know, snuggling with me and watching it anyway. So, I mean, I just use that as an example of like, it's not, it's not, we're not always in scene exactly, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, like the power is always there. And there's always a moment when I could say, all right, stop cuddling with me and get up and brush your teeth. We're going to bed in five minutes, you know, and like give an order, but Mm -hmm. it's, but it's also within the context of our real lives and within the context of like, we both have jobs that we need to get to and we both have family obligations and pets and health things and, you know, all these, all these other things that we have to navigate as people, as adult, as adulting. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's, so it's tricky. I mean, at the same time, sometimes I have to check myself and go like, Oh, am I, am I treating him like a partner? Am I treating him like a slave right now? Or am I treating him like, uh, am I being too coddling? Am I being too nice? Or like, what are the ways that I can use him better? And, and to really make sure I keep turning up and turning on that dominance and that mastery, because Mm -hmm. it's easy for me to just slide into like a domestic boring partnership. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're just, we're just like, la la, you got him from work. Hi, here's the dinner, you know, let's Mm -hmm. take the dog for a walk. And that does not, but it's really different if I just say, all right, slave, you're going to, you know, go put this butt plug on because we're about to go take the dog for a walk. You know, that's a really different thing to navigate than to just kind of be ho-hum about your domestic life. So for listeners who are curious, what is the difference between being a submissive and being a slave? Hmm. Well, it probably depends completely on the slave or the submissive that you ask. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of different ways that people use those terms. Um, For us, a submissive is someone who engages in a a power exchange or an authority exchange with someone else, where someone else has some authority over the submissive. Um, Usually in ways that are time bound and, um, and limited. So, you know, the the dominant might have control over this what the submissive wears and what the submissive eats and what the submissive like the sex life of the submissive but it they might not have control over the work life or the family life or you know the long-term goals or things like that of that submissive mm-hmm. um the, the submissive often has limits of some sort and and in the ways that we do it the slave is owned property and is allowed to 
is not really it has uh, given over time, body, will, mind, like all those things that are inherently belonging to that person to their master. Mm. Uh, it's, I mean, this is a deep philosophical conversation yeah. also, and I'm involved in some MS groups and this, we talk about this a lot and there are a lot of differences. Um, one book I'd recommend if people are into it and, and want to read more is the book called slave craft by a grateful slave with also guy Baldwin. I think there's two authors there okay. and it has some good ideas and definitions about the differences. Um, there aren't a lot of really good MS books yeah. out there. Um, the other one that I would highly recommend is called Dear Raven and Joshua by Raven Caldera and Joshua Tenpenny. That's kind of an, almost like an advice column where there's just a bunch of different questions to these two folks who are MS teachers and educators. Um, and then their perspectives on the answers and they, they're very highly opinionated. So they might not, you know, their perspective might not work for everybody, but they have clearly given this a lot of thought. Uh, and they're kinky, queer, pagan, trans, feminist, poly. Like they're they're hitting all the buttons. <laughs> <laughs> They've they checked all the boxes on the form. <laughs> totally, they have a lot of pers- good perspectives that work well for me. Anyway, mm-hmm. it might not work for other people. What I really like that I'm hearing is how you're acknowledging the fact that there can be this wealth of information and experience that is being shared by someone who's a trainer and teaches this stuff and lives this stuff. And still it might not work for you and your vision of this. And there's space for all of that. Totally. Totally. And I, I think that that was a really challenging thing for me, um, as I was coming into more dominance and more mastery that I wasn't seeing representation of what it was that I wanted or what I wanted to be. So, um, I really had to work to carve my own space. And then as I got more kind of confident in my own space, I was better able to go pull little bits and pieces from other people. Uh, But there really wasn't one single where I was like, that's the relationship I want. That's the structure that I want. So just out of curiosity for your, the way that you are living your master slave agreement, if at any point your slave feels like, something's not working or they need something different or they kind of want to reevaluate how is space made for that conversation to happen? We have, um, check-ins, uh, relationship check-ins fairly regularly. Um, they're weekly ish. I would say they don't have been every single week, but most weeks. And there are a variety of questions that we ask each other and ourselves about like how, how are things going right now? And, um, and there have been, you know, we've been together for five years. There have been moments where something really big did have to change. And most recently I've, um, I've been struggling pretty hard with some depression and, um, my slave came to me and kind of said, like, I don't know, this isn't working. You need to get some, you need to deal with this a little deeper. And that was really, really hard for me. I I don't want to go into it too deeply because it's Mm -hmm. still really raw. Um, something, something I'm living, not a story that I'm telling yet, but, um, but it was, it was really incredible to have that, uh, ability for him to have that ability to come to me and say like, this is something I've witnessed in you and, I, I need you to get some help and I need us to figure this out. Um, 
and there's no there's so much space for those conversations to happen mm-hmm. that would be i'm so welcoming of of that kind of that level of um of dialogue about our relationship so i would definitely say you know i mean how do you make room for that conversation in any relationship yeah it's hard, it's hard it's, to it's scary no matter what <laughs> totally and it, you, at some point somebody has to bring it up and say i want to have a relationship conversation and you have to kind of make time in your schedule or you mm-hmm. have to you know find a time when you're like oh okay well i guess the kid will be asleep for this long or you know whatever it's um and so it's the same it's the same way really and he's not on a restriction of like you can't talk to me about what you think about the relationship or anything um uh, on the it might be the opposite you need mm-hmm. to talk to me about what you think about this and how it's going yeah yeah i, I have seen abusive versions of MS play out uh, in relationships in certain communities and then also seen like very stern and strict but loving and spacious versions mm-hmm. of MS mm-hmm. and DS frankly mm-hmm. um, and and I think it's so important for people to hear the different ways that that can happen to help kind of um, squelch a lot of the Assumptions, And I also think for people who are outside of King, hearing about a master-slave situation where technically the slave is, is owned property, I think can bring up a lot of like, oh my God, who would ever do that kind right. of knee-jerk reaction. Totally. Hearing you talk about these conversations that you make space for and the way that you're striving and you're being fed by this like challenge to constantly like grow and and learn within this dynamic, I think is really like meaty and interesting. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I think the, my biggest draw to this dynamic is because I'm a totally a growth junkie and I just want to continue to know myself and know my partner and be really intimate mm-hmm. and be, um, and be really, be really close. Uh, and of course I have a possessive streak and a controlling streak. I don't think, I don't know if any master would tell you that they don't, <laughs> but, uh, but I get to channel it in this one particular way. So it doesn't come out weird and sideways in other parts of my life. And I think that's another thing that was happening before I was, more of a realized dominant and master, which is that it would come out accidentally and kind of unconsciously with various relationships or with my work or with, you know, other pieces of my life. Um, and this way, when I notice it coming out in other places, I can just say, Oh, that's that thing. Okay. I need to let it go here and put it over there (laughs) because that place, it fits really well, but this place (laughs) it doesn't fit. So, you know, channel it over there, let this go. You can't control your boss. You can't control your work. You can't control your kid, you know, whatever. I don't have any kids, but (laughs) But I can certainly control my boy. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, and we both get very fulfilled by it because it has, it's, it's a, it's a symbol of other things, right? Mm -hmm. It's a symbol of intimacy. It's a symbol of um, commitment. It's a symbol of growth for both of us. And frankly, I think, um, at least my experience with DS is it's such a symbol of trust. Totally. Yes. Yes. I have a major trust fetish and Mm -hmm. that's really important to me. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think any of it can exist with, I think it's really hard to exist without trust. Yeah. Once trust is broken, it's really clear when a DS or an MS relationship starts, um, Mm -hmm. cracking and, and kind of going sour. Uh, and I, I too have seen dynamics where I thought, 
oh my God, I can't believe they're doing that. Like that looks really bad from the outside. <laughs> um, and I've also seen dynamics that looked really bad from the outside where, you know, when I knew them a little better, I got that it was really consensual and it was really feeding them and they were doing it for really smart reasons. So I try really hard not to judge other people's DS dynamics because of some of those experiences, even though sometimes I do see it and go, oh shit, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because, I mean, because how can you not? Like, I, all of us do, right? We yeah. see a relationship and we go, oh, oh dear, that's, you know, that's bad. That won't end well. <laughs> mm -mm, totally. Mm -hmm. And and it is a question of, of also, like, how much do I get involved? Do I yeah. say something? Is it my place? And sometimes it is because they're close friends and sometimes it's not at all. Yeah. So you had mentioned um, your experience with depression and I know one of the things that that's always really interesting for me to dig into is I have experienced DS uh, as a way to really like push at my edges and grow and confront um, some of my fears and assumptions and insecurities and uh, to kind of be able to work through those. And I've also experienced DS as a way to help me heal some traumas. And I think one of the things that we see um, from BDSM teachers and trainers is there's always kind of that disclaimer of like, kink is, is for everyone, but don't use it you know, if you have trauma or if you're suffering with depression, go get professional help for that. And, you know, I know why people say that, but I definitely think there's space in the ways that we explore our dominance or our submission to help us heal some of those old wounds or to help us move through um, challenges that we're experiencing in our life. And I would love to hear your thoughts and, and experiences around like using DS mm. and using these dynamics, not only for personal growth, but also for healing and navigating mm -hmm. these kind of like really difficult life circumstances. Mm-hmm. That's such a huge topic, and it's I, it's one of my favorites, even I would say, um, and so complex. Uh, and I I do also get why kink educators say, you know, you don't lean on this as your primary source. But and I and I really do think that people who have trauma, who have um, mental health challenges, mm -hmm. or who are uh, what's the new word of it is like neurodivergent, you know, that, yep. that their neurology is not necessarily quote unquote typical. Um, I think they should be, uh, involved with some mental health professionals mm -hmm. and, and I, and <laughs> if they want to play with kink, then I think they can do that at the same time. Um, but I've also, I've also been involved with some kink relationships and with some DS with folks who, with, you know, exes of mine and, and in, and in workshops and coaching situations, cause I also do some DS coaching, um, where they had never, you know, been to a psychiatrist or psychologist before they'd never been to a therapist. They'd never talked through their trauma or, you know, done their work on it, on that level. And, and coming to kink as the first thing that they do is can be really explosive. Yes. And it, it's really, it can be really intense. So I highly encourage people to, you know, have a couple layers of it already peeled off mm -hmm. before they go at it with the kink thing. Yeah. Um, and that all said, like, I think there's some magical things that can happen with power and with 
uh, deep sensation and with trust when playing with um, various kinds of kink with partners and and working around trauma. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've had scenes with people where I've recreated something horrible that happened to them and then they get to relive that experience, which is often terrifying but they get to make it end a different way. You know, they get to have the empowerment at the end or they get to have the ability to say no or they know throughout the thing that they have the ability to say no and that um, and that things will stop and change. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes this kind of reprogramming and letting go for option of the, of the scene. Um, and I think there's some things about power dynamics and in and the deep psychology of it that can also be kind of reparenting yeah. um where people learn to reparent themselves or reparent each other and and heal some of the wounds of of childhood of like I didn't I wasn't listened to I didn't get enough attention I didn't get enough touch um whatever it was I think there's some ways that that playing with the psychology and the and the nurturance of DS can be uh deeply satisfying that way mm-hmm. and, and you know none of that's not for beginners right. none of that is like <laughs> beginner play so right. go slow build trust like start start anywhere start mm-hmm. somewhere but like uh but go go easy and um and learn about this stuff as much as possible and you know make sure that any of that stuff any anytime you're playing with psychology or trauma or mm-hmm. survivorship or wounds of people um we need to have a lot of trust in each other yes. be, and be as safe as possible. Yeah. And, and we owe it to the people that we're either in relationship with or that we're just doing some pickup play with to let them know as much as we're aware sure. of what potential triggers are so that we're mm-hmm. not potentially putting ourselves in a situation where we get super triggered. And then this person feels like they've just done something horrible. Oh, totally. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I think in some ways, I have said that um, I became a top because I started sleeping with women, <laughs> and <laughs> and um, and that's not that's not entirely true. But those things did kind of happen at the same time in my life, where mm-hmm. I came out as queer and started dating women, and then it was it was partly because the the people I was sleeping with had some trauma had some trauma history that um, and and I started being aware of the ways that uh, topping and cathartic release could mm-hmm. happen um that I got really into into it I got really into the ways that women and and you know other marginalized gender folks hold trauma in their bodies and the ways mm-hmm. that we can use sex and sensation to move it out and that's part of what led me to do work with uh, body electric for a lot of years and then to do a sacred intimacy training and to um work with uh body trust which is a a collective um, of me and three other folks who put on a variety of workshops and accoutrements and play around erotic embodiment. Mm. Um, and we actually have a podcast also called the pleasure lab, uh, which is pretty fun. Um, and with some try this at home experiments about embodiment and erotics, and then a lot of whimsy and fun things about just about being more in our bodies and what it, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to, to play with all the different realms available for our bodies. Yeah, for me, um, kink, one of the things that kink has offered me is a way back into my body, which for so much of my life has been a very unsafe place mm. to be. Mm-hmm. 
Totally. And being flogged, for instance, and just allowing the sensation to exist and actually being able to kind of lose myself in that moment. You know, it's it for a long time, it was one of the only ways that I could really get in my body and experience that kind of stuff outside of like fucking. Um, because just walking around from day to day, I spent so much of my life just living up in my head and having no idea what was going on in my body because it wasn't a safe place to be. I think you're so right. This kind of getting to rewrite some stories and give ourselves new experiences or new endings or new ways to exist in something that maybe hasn't felt okay for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's complex. All this stuff, power, <laughs> bodies, you know, it, it, that's one of the reasons why I love playing with it because so many things come together in it. And, and I am so curious and interested in the, in the different forms of power mm-hmm. in just in the world, right? Like how do we have personal empowerment? How do we play with power interpersonally between people? And then what are the power structures that are in place in this culture? And as, you know, an activist and a feminist and, you know, someone who's interested in social justice movements, um, that piece is always there and always underlying a bunch of other stuff that I'm doing, you know, and and partly, partly because I have, I I like fight the patriarchy or fight the curiarchy every day. I do go fetishize some of that stuff in my kink play. And it feels like I wouldn't um, love it so much if I wasn't so involved in fighting it all the time. Does that make sense? It's kind of the, kind of the lust, uh, despise (laughs) coin as well. Yeah. So before we jump into a couple listener questions, I would love for you to just kind of give us a little bit of a taste about what the submissive playground is all about and who it's for. Mm, Sure. So submissive playground, it's an eight week online course, Rife, my boy, and I have done this for three years now. This will be the fifth time the course is running um we have 16 guest educators who are amazing they range from like really well-known folks like midori madison young lee harrington to folks who you might not know super well right now but you probably will in the future because they're amazing uh like maisha Zah and um i don't know who else uh tilly king is another amazing one who talks about chronic pain and masochism mm. and um And uh, so I put it together really because I noticed as a dominant, a lot of submissives, um, a lot of commonalities between submissives who are striving. And I've been a a coach for a while as well with folks. And so I was noticing a lot of the similar challenges that people were going through um, and wanted to just put it all in one place and and make it more accessible because a lot of folks, you know, would love to. I don't know, have a personal DS coach, but mm-hmm. who, who has that kind of money? Right. So if you can do one, like a course and invest, you know, a little bit here, um, you could get a lot of still that data out of it. Uh, and so it, it's broken down into a couple different modules with some of the core I, things that we identified as, as um, both the like super sexy and sometimes the really challenging pieces of, of, submission. So there's two really uh, corporeal models of masochism and bondage. And then there's two that are a lot more psychological discipline and service. And, um, and we just go in depth into each of those concepts. We look at some guest videos, we read some porn, we watch some erotica and everybody has some homework. So, so 
part of what part of who the course is for ideally is folks who really want are on the self growth like uh, DS as self growth path and who like homework and who who want to be given tasks and assignments. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that is not all submissives for sure. So uh, those the folks who want to like do that kind of of investigation and work um, are the best fit for this for this exploration. Would you say it's for people who really know they're a submissive and they're just kind of trying to find their way or get clearer about what's a good fit for them? Or could it also be someone who's like, I think that I might be a submissive and I'm kind of not sure where to turn? Absolutely. I think I think both of those. There, There's a a variety of, of folks that I think this would work really well for. Mm-hmm. So people who are like, I, I'm pretty sure, like I read Fifty Shades of Grey and I'm like, oh, I really want that. But like, am I really? And do I, what does that mean? And how does, how do I even start? This is a great place for that because you get a lot of sense of, um, of what kind of things happen in DS relationships and what kind of plays available. Um, and one of the most fun parts of the course for me and for a lot of folks, I think is, is the submissive community mm-hmm. is the many other people who are there and there's a message board and a chat, uh, room that people can go and like make contact and, and share stories with each other. And that becomes really a, a, a gold mine of information and, and, uh, and camaraderie, which is really good. Um, and then it, it's also been an excellent place for folks who are like, yeah, I'm definitely submissive, I, but I really need to up my game. Like I want to be better at some things or I want to, I want to take it deeper. I have a desire for more, but I'm not sure what that is. Uh, and then it's also been great for more advanced submissives who, you know, maybe have been in DS relationships for a long time. Um, and maybe to the point where they're getting bored <laughs> where they're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I've done it all. I, I wrote the book on that. Like I teach classes on it. I, you know, whatever. But now I like what I need to remind myself why it's hot and I need to get back into it and I need to like turn it back on again. It just becomes a default and it's kind of in the background. Um, so the, I think there's a, a lot to get out of it for a variety of experiences. Um, it tends to be fairly uh, queer heavy and uh, women heavy. There tend to be a lot of queer folks and a lot of women, but um, there's always a smattering of cis guys and trans guys and uh, and switches too, folks who are switches who are just like, uh, you know, sometimes I top, but also I... I submit in these ways. So I want to work on my submission particularly. That sounds so fun and so fascinating and so rich. And oh my God, I can't wait for everyone to go check it out because the website is beautiful. (laughs) Oh, thank you. It's really, and Rife is uh, my graphic designer as well as everything else. And um, it's very useful to own a site who's a graphic designer. Yes. Uh, As someone who produces media content and, um, uh, so he has designed a ton of the back end course, and it's really l- lovely and fun to to, to uh, navigate for sure. Aww. Well, uh, I'm going to have a link to Submissive Playground on the the show notes for this episode, and also on Sex Gets Real, so everyone can check it out. And then, if you are ready, I have a couple of listener questions that might be fun to roll around in. I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. So this first one is from a listener named Louise, and it says, Hi, Dawn. I love the podcast. You have improved my outlook on sex and enjoyment since I've been listening. Doing things that make me feel sexy only adds to the overall dynamic. 
I have a partner of almost 20 years. We have a fantastic sex life. I read Mating in Captivity and truly felt like the elusive lucky couples mentioned in that book. We're a fairly introspective couple and have recently realized that he is a person that likes to choose in the moment what he wants to do, as opposed to plan and anticipate things, which is more like me. So my question is this. If I'm really into light bondage, impact play, sex slave type stuff, and he's really not a planner, how do we incorporate scenes into our lovemaking? I know that we'll talk about it and play a little bit, but I was wondering if there was a way to lay out a bunch of options and then maybe let him decide in the moment. If you have any thoughts, I'd appreciate it. So... What do you do if you are a planner who likes some kinky stuff and your partner's like, nah, I don't want to do any planning. I just want to figure it out in the moment. <laughs> well, so I'm, I'm assuming that he's open to the kinky stuff, even though he's not much of a planner. Yeah. Um, that would be my guess. That seems, that seems true. I, it makes it easier, the question easier to answer, that's yes. for sure. Uh, so... I think that she kind of answered her question in the in the letter too, which was kind of how do I can we just lay a bunch of stuff out and have him pick and choose? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, as in some of my dominant classes, I talk about creating a palette of permission, mm-hmm. where there's this you know this this artist's palette that has ten or twenty things on it that you know as a dominant that your submissive likes, or you know as a kinky person that your play partner likes, whatever it is. Um, and so you can just kind of pick from that palette from whatever you want. So, you know, if he goes in to the bedroom and lays out the rope and some paddles and some floggers and a little, and a blindfold and some, you know, hot wax or whatever it is, and then goes, Hmm, what do I want to play with tonight? And he knows that anything on that table would be a great thing to play with because that's something that his partner likes. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't, I think that's a great way to be spontaneous. You can just kind of go okay I'm gonna do this and then this and then this and then we'll fuck and then good night mm-hmm. or I don't know depending on your pl- your mileage may vary of the <laughs> order of course but um <clears throat> a lot of folks use a lot of BDSM as kind of precursor to mm-hmm. the orgasm right yeah. <laughs> as foreplay to the orgasm um so I think she kind of answered her own question there I think it doesn't I think the trick is to go to the classes or to the conferences or to wherever and get the skills about learning about how to use those toys mm-hmm. or those particular things so that when they're at home and ready to be playing around, um, the skills are there. He doesn't have to go YouTube some bondage ties or something. Yeah. You can just be like, Oh, here's some rope. Let's do that tonight. Yeah. And I also think that there's this inherent assumption sometimes that comes with, um, kinky play that like the top or the dominant is going to be responsible for planning all the things and knowing all the things, and then just kind of like surprising the bottom or the submissive with, here's what we're going to do. And, you know, the submissive or the bottom has just as much like skin in the game. So it's okay for her to come up with all of these plans and kind of make a list of like all the things she's interested in. And, Mm -hmm. and maybe even saying like lately I've been in the mood for, and then giving him some options. And then in the moment he gets to be spontaneous from that short list. But, um, you know, I, I think sometimes people feel like as the submissive, you just basically show up. Mm. 
And the dominant is the one that's responsible for all the planning or the top. And so I think that she's absolutely on the right track that if she's a planner, then she gets to put all of her lovely planning and organization skills to good use and make like this really delicious kinky spreadsheet of some kind. And then he gets to, in that moment, be like, okay, this is what I feel like doing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And it helps, you know, it helps to share fantasies with each other. What you were just saying of like, lately I've been thinking about this. It so helps to just keep in touch with each other about the erotic, inner erotic life. Mm -hmm. Uh, What have you been thinking about today? What are you fantasizing about today? What what kind of craving do you have? And I, you know, part of being, (laughs) being a dominant also for me is making little rules. So sometimes I have rules where like my boy has to text me something dirty every day or, you know, tech, write me three scene examples of things that he'd like to do. And then I get to be like, oh, I'm going to pick this part from scene one and this <laughs> part from scene two, and I'm just going to put this all together. And I know that it's something that he would be into, but I still get to kind of put my own flavor on it. Oh, that sounds delicious. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Yeah. And plus I get dirty things in my inbox, which is my favorite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the best. Right in the middle of your day. And well, now my day's better. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, well, I have a question from a listener who is going to remain anonymous, and it's about uh, a DS dynamic that she has and whether or not there was a betrayal. Um, Mm. So if you're up for it, it's a little bit long. She gives us some backstory, but I'd love to read it to you, and then we can roll around in it. Great. Okay. So it says, I absolutely love your podcast. I'm new to BDSM at 42 years old. The long story short is that I reconnected with an old lover back in December who showed me this world, and I have to say I love it. We're both married, and I don't want to leave my marriage of 20 years. Uh, We joined FetLife a few months ago, and I really like connecting with lots of other BDSM people. I'm learning so much and making lots of friends. My dom, daddy, and I are both very open-minded and in love. We've been talking for many months about having a threesome with a fun, kinky female. Eventually, we would also like to try a DP scene. I've been chatting with three lovely ladies, but they've pretty much all turned into friends, which is great, too. I've been faithful my entire marriage up until now, as has my dom, and we don't want any random hookups. But what happened recently was he messaged a few ladies to make friends on FET, and one seemed to click. He shared the conversations with me, and what happened was I completely freaked out. We had discussed no one-on-one with other people. It was just going to be some sex and no intimacy. I found his messages to her upsetting because although he tried to keep it kind of Q&A, it kept getting derailed and bordering on sexting. She asked because it would be her first time too with a woman and if we were opposed to one-on-one sex with him. He willingly offered it and said that oral was on the table too. Although we discussed that a threesome was something we were willing to do together, we never said that it would be one on sex with one person and the third. He admitted that after he had been talking to her, he got really aroused and he got carried away, but I feel really hurt and defensive. Um, I just listened to your podcast on consent and threesomes, and I feel like he broke my trust as a dom. We refer to each other as sir and daddy and me as sub and little or baby girl. 
he was negotiating the guidelines between him and her without me being involved, and it felt like a knife going through my chest. I'm not sure what to think because I'm not upset with her in any way um, or the idea of sharing in the threesome setting, but it's the fact that I feel like he left me out and he didn't agree, he didn't abide by our agreement. Did he break our contract or am I out of line for feeling upset? Mm. Yeah. So it sounds like they are pretty new to this daddy little girl dynamic and they had been talking about a threesome um and he started engaging with this woman in a sexual way that made her feel betrayed and so i'd love to hear your thoughts on the dynamic and how to kind of work through that yeah um honestly it feels much more like a poly issue than a ds issue Mm -hmm. and i think that um it most folks who play with both poly or who play with other people and who play within a DS dynamic have to kind of decide if the DS is inside of the poly or the poly is inside of the DS. Mm. So it sounds like she and her dom were approaching this negotiation uh, with having a threesome as equal partners that she gets to say what she is and isn't comfortable with, that he gets to say what he is and isn't comfortable with. And they're trying to find some equal ground to go, great, let's go play with this thing that is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, which would be very different than a dominant who said, you're going to play with this person and I don't care if you like it or not, or <laughs> you're going to play with this per- or I'm going to loan you out yep. and, you know, or whatever I'm going to choose, or I'm going to, I'm going to play with who I want. And, you know, there, that would be more like the, the power dynamic mm-hmm. is on the outside and the, the poly is, is, is underneath that or the, the open non-monogamy is underneath that. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like they're coming from a, from a, they're navigating this openness, this non-monogamy from an egalitarian place. Um, it, it sounds like, it, what it sounds like to me is that she, they both stumbled on a boundary that they may or may not have known was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there, it, it all depends to me on what his response is to this action. You know, if he's going, oh, you know, you're right. I did get carried away. I understand you want it to be not one-on-one. You want it to be, you know, you, you want, this is something that we only do together. It's totally okay. I'm going to back off. I'm not going to, you know, we probably shouldn't mess around with that person because I maybe went too far already, Mm -hmm. whatever. Then that's one thing. And I think she can rebuild the trust with him and that it's not a huge violation necessarily. But if he's going, well, I don't know. She's pretty hot. I really want to play with her this is the way she feels comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. that's a different kind of reaction yeah. to have. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that he did something like cheated or that he mm-hmm. broke trust really deeply. Although I, but I totally understand that her feelings were really hurt yeah. and that she was threatened and that it was, and that's totally real, you know, so I don't mean to to, to downplay that, mm-hmm. but I think that he didn't necessarily, um, break anything as a as a dominant I I hope I think it's possible to redeem yeah yeah I mean kind of what I'm getting from this is is you're right like the hurt feelings are super valid but 
what it really sounds like is there's kind of some confusion around what they're doing and she's Mm -hmm. brand new to BDSM and they have this daddy little girl dynamic, but at the same time they're kind of co-planning this threesome that at least from her email didn't sound like it had very many power dynamics. It was more just like, let's do this fun thing with this third person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, this is just classic Like, this is what happens when you start trying new things and it's involving other people and Mm -hmm. you kind of aren't really sure of what feels in what way. And when you stumble on something, it it can feel really shitty and horrible. And then you have to just kind of like take stock and say, okay, well, we learned that thing. Um, So now let's regroup and decide how we want to move forward from here. Totally. Totally. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think with a lot of na- oh, uh, navigating new things, you don't always know your boundaries until you stumble onto yep. them. So it becomes a the 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 skill. Like you kind of have some have to have some fuck up recovery skills because you're gonna if you're if you're going into new uncharted territory, you just don't know where the fuck up's gonna happen, and because it probably will happen at yeah. some point. So you got to figure out how to regroup, how to get back together with your partner, like how to how to put the brakes on right away and go like, whoa, 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 I just found a place where this sucks. Let's stop. Um, Which is really challenging and not everybody's so good at that. It's really sensitive when we can make mistakes Mm -hmm. or go too far. Um, And for some people, one sort of we went too far is a deal breaker. Yeah. But um, for playing with edgy sexualities and kind of non, non normative (laughs) sexualities, a lot of times we're going to go too far. So we got to flex that muscle and get stronger at it. Yeah. And the other thing that just kind of pops out at me a little bit is both of them are married and they're having this, like they're, they're cheating with each other. And so it's not an ethical non-monogamy with the married partners. It's that they're like secretly having an affair and that's just going to complicate things too. Like, if you are married and then having this BDSM relationship with this person and your spouse doesn't know about it, the stakes are super high. That's a very good point. And so if the stakes are already really sky high for having this relationship and on top of it, you're brand new to BDSM, adding on other people and other um and trying other things too quickly, I think is just like putting a flame near a powder keg. You know, I, in this situation, I think they really need to just tread carefully around how high the stakes are. That's going to make everything seem a lot more drastic and dramatic when they do stumble on those things, because it's not just their relationship that might get shaken up. Like if something really does just devastate you, it can take a toll on your marriage. And that just, it, it, that makes it, I think a lot more challenging to deal with these things, um, even just beyond the normal. That's a that's a really good point. And here's the other thing: she already knows that he's willing to cheat mm-hmm. because he is. So for him to then, you know, talk to somebody else and make it, you know, make it seem like it's just a even if it seemed like it was a, just a little too far yeah. from what they'd negotiated, she knows that he's willing to do that. So her reaction might not be so out of line because 
part of her understands that he's willing to mm-hmm. go too far and he's willing to violate the trust of someone that he loves. Yeah, for me, like as we've been talking, the thing that I'm starting to just kind of feel is it sounds like there needs to be some work around just really digging in and getting clear on how much trust there is. And whether or not that needs a little bit more time and attention before you jump into threesomes and group sex and things like that. You know, I think maybe go back to basics um, before you add Mm. this more complicating factor on top of everything. Yeah, it's funny when you read it and when I was thinking about my response to it, it didn't even occur to me, you know, the marriage part and the, you know, my dom separate from my marriage. I was, I just kind of assumed Mm -hmm that everybody was above board about that. Um, but that's just the world that I live in. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's really common for married folks to discover that they're kinky later mm-hmm. and, and have their, like not want to leave their spouse and not want to change their domestic life in some way, but that they, they discover that this is a thing they really can't live without, or they really don't want to. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of married folks who have had become non-monogamous to have kink play yes. in their life. Um, so that's, that's a very common thing and it's very possible to talk about it and, and meet folks who are navigating that challenge because it is really challenging. Yeah, I agree. Well, I want to wish both of the listeners who wrote in luck with navigating your kinkiness and finding ways to be spontaneous and plan and also finding ways to, to really kind of nurture yourself to that anonymous listener on the second one to, to nurture yourself through what sounds like a very challenging and potentially complicated situation. Um, and Sinclair, I would love for you to share with everyone how they can find you and stay in touch. I'll of course have all the links on sex gets real, but for people who are listening and want to check you out right away, where can they find you? Absolutely. Um, so missaplayground.com is what's coming up the most next. We're working on that real hard right now. It starts in October. Uh, I write at sugarbutch.net, which has a huge archive. It's 10 years old now, so it's got a lot of stories up there, a lot of dirty stuff, a lot of stuff about power dynamics and feminism and kink and yeah, any, whatever, anything I can think of. Lots of toy reviews, lots of strap-on sex. That's kind of my thing. Um, I uh, also teach college uh, workshops. I travel around and teach and talk in the spring and the fall. So that's gearing up. And that website is mrsexsmith.com, which is mrsexsmith.com. Uh, and uh, right now I'm working from uh, a Patreon really strongly. So cool. all of my writing is at patreon.com slash mrsexsmith, mrsexsmith. And that the folks who are on Patreon, that's where I've been writing really deeply about this stuff around depression mm. and DS and mastery um, and the stuff that's been more recently mm-hmm. going on with my relationship and how challenging it's been to navigate being a depressed person and trying to be a dominant at the same time. Yeah. Um, so if folks are interested in more of that story, uh, it's through the Patreon. It's just too tender for me to put out in general public. Yeah. So. Uh, it's kind of behind a wall right now, but hopefully soon I'll, you know, when it gets a little stronger, I'll be able to tell more of those stories. <laughs> yeah. I love how you said living the story versus telling the story. So that mm-hmm. makes total sense. Totally. That somebody else wrote that recently. I totally stole that, but <laughs> it, it makes a lot of sense to me too. Um, I, I mean, I have a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, you know, Twitter is a great place to follow me because all the stuff I'm doing is always there. I'm always talking about it on Twitter all the time. And um, 
and there's a mailing list, of course, if, uh, from sugarbush.net or from many of those places that you can get involved in, keep in touch with what's going on. Yay! Well, I will have all the links to all the things for this episode, so everyone who's listening, please go check it out. And if you are at all interested, if you got that that little tickle of like, ooh, that might be me, about Submissive Playground, please go check it out, because the, the folks that are involved with this as some of the expert speakers were just like blowing my mind when I saw them, including Princess Callie. She's one of them, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. She mm-hmm. was just on the show a few weeks ago. Oh, fantastic. I yeah. love her. Yeah, it was so And fun. Um, Tina Horn, who also runs the Wire People Into That podcast, which is fantastic. Yes. Andrea Zanin, who's a master, well-known master out of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, Katie Diamond, who is Ms. International Ms. Bootblack 2011. Yes. An artist. And uh, con- uh, so there's so, so many, many there's people. so many great people. <laughs> Literally. Uh, and the <laughs> folks who come and, and attend the class are really amazing, too. There's usually a cohort about 50-ish people who have come, and uh, people have made really deep friendships out of that. So I've, oh. I really, I love it. I love hearing everybody's stories and talking about their lives and chatting about submission. I, I, get, I feel really lucky to be able to make a space like this yeah it just sounds so like juicy and delicious i love it i know you should come i know i might i'm gonna check it out (laughs) totally totally. i'm so glad to talk to you today thanks for making the time for me yeah thank you so much for coming on the show and to all of the listeners thank you so much for tuning in of course you can submit your own questions and comments and stories over at sexgetsreal.com i would love to hear from you and always follow along on twitter and facebook at sexgetsreal this is don sarah and i will talk to you next week